Geopolitics and Empire is joined by filmmaker, freedom coach, and host of the Eyes Wide Open podcast, Lawrence Eastman of LawrenceEastman.com. I was on his program not too long ago, and now I'm uh, welcoming you to Geopolitics and Empire. Lawrence, what's going on? Hey, Havoye. How you doing? Great to be on your fantastic podcast. I'm a fan. I'm a viewer, subscriber. So yeah, it's a great, great honor to be, uh, you know, your guest. Yeah. Thanks for coming on mine. Well, I, I, I very much uh, enjoy uh, your work and, and uh, like connecting with like-minded uh, people. And, and you've got an interesting background. And we're sort of on the same frequency when it comes to the different topics that you and I both cover, you know, whether it's geopolitics, empire, globalism, all this sort of stuff. And so, uh, but maybe just to start, if you want to tell us briefly, who is Lawrence Eastman or, or Laws? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm Lawrence, uh, or Lars. Yeah. Uh, I've got a podcast called Eyes Wide Open, which you can see on YouTube and Twitter and Rumble. And I like to develop ideas of truth and justice and freedom, even go and try and deal with aesthetics and beauty if we can. And we do that through engaging conversations with a wide variety of red pilled guests, obviously, like your good self. Uh, I also offer other compelling content for truth seekers of all stripes, such as monologues, live streams, historical content that covers um, wide-ranging subjects from geopolitics to esoteric and occulted knowledge to topical news and affairs and also throw in a little bit of English humor where and when I can uh, but the main objective is to try and uncover what's really going on and offer solutions because as we talked about in our podcast is that especially in, in our game we deal with a lot of black-pilled information that can be depressing demoralizing so that's not my intent that's not my goal it's to try and provide solutions and um offer you know the insights that my guests and what we do on the show can help people who are on this kind of freedom path and they're trying to extract themselves from this dystopian hellscape that's being presented to us at the moment indeed this dystopian hellscape and uh, i i sort of uh, start out by asking my guests. I, I mostly like a, a big picture dude, like, you know, what's going on with this or that issue or, or, or topic. And then maybe to ask you, uh, big picture, you know, the new world order. A lot of us were reading about this many, many decades ago as kids, as teenagers, as 20 somethings, 30 somethings and, uh, you know, world government, the great reset globalists, the eugenicist, uh, elite. When you put on your conspiracy goggles, uh, you know, what do you see? What is going on from your vantage point and, and, uh, years of research? Um, for me, all roads lead to, um, the bank. It appears to me from my research over, you know, the last 20 years is that it's the money power that is running the show. It's the people who are printing the money that are charging the interest, that are manipulating the interest rates, that are, you know, magically inflating the currency, that are causing all of the problems that we have. And everything is a trickle down from there because there is only one policy and that's economic policy. Because, you know, he who controls the gold controls it all. And that's all my research eventually leads to that conclusion. Specifically, one of the topics that I kind of revisit regularly is usury, you know, and it's uh, interest on money that's created out of thin air. And I think we've, we deal with a lot of distractions 
in um, our general view of society and culture and civilization because they don't really want us looking in the place where it all all flows from. And I think it was best highlighted this week how the banks, the banks are now feeling confident enough that they're able to bare their teeth and show us um, how much power that they actually have and that they're almost supranational. They sit above governments and are outside the purview of Parliament and even the Crown. Because we've seen, you know, the latest um, scandal with Nigel Farage. Uh, whatever you think of Farage, I'm not massively a fan. Some things he's done that I respect and other things obviously not. But the fact that he's come out and said the banks have cancelled him, I mean, it's, you know, it's cause for alarm for everybody, isn't it? Because, you know, that's... Um, that's making an example of a high-profile figure to say, look, we can get him, you know, we can get you easy too. And it's also been a, a brilliant um, education watching all of the, you know, all of the drones and the NPCs coming out against Farage on the side of the banks. I mean, who the hell supports the banks? And they've got no shame in doing it. But also equally instructive is um, the Bank of England today announced that they believe that all genders can get pregnant. The Bank of England. Why are the Bank of England involving themselves in social social policy? But why, why why do they think they need to let the public know that the Bank of England believe that all genders can get pregnant? And then you had the Chancellor of the Exchequer, um, Jeremy Hunt, come out and said uh, he doesn't think banks should restrict people's access to the banking facility for issues of free speech. He doesn't think. He didn't order them, right? Because he can't. Because ultimately it comes from the Bank of England. The Bank of England are controlled by the Charter of the Bank of England, which, if you look into it, is an incredible historical document that um, puts the bank outside of the control of Parliament and outside the control of the Crown. So when it comes down to it, that's where I think all of our problems are rooted to. And that's where we should definitely focus our attentions when we see all of these distractions that appear. And I think that's the, the one objective that if we could resolve usury, then I think we would see an alleviation of tons and tons of our problems. In America, you know, you had the version two of the Bank of England with the Federal Reserve. And that's what's been pumping out dollars like a drunken sailor. Um, for the last 100 years. So yeah, that's my take. Throughout history, empires have risen and fallen. Some of the most successful empires were those that offered people a reason to come, often lower taxes and the prospect of citizenship. In ancient times, empires would say foreigners can become one of us and prosper through business and trade. Throughout history, people have gravitated to jurisdictions that have given them the best conditions to do business. So if you run a business, you should consider nomad capitalists because they help entrepreneurs and investors relocate to parts of the world where they can keep more of their wealth. They literally wrote the book on it, The Best-Selling Nomad Capitalist. Find it on Amazon. If you're an entrepreneur or investor and believe you're paying too much in tax, or if you'd like to get a second passport or a third passport like I have to expand your options and not have to be relying on one government, there are legal ways to do this. Nomad Capitalist has been assisting over a 1,000 clients for the last 10 years. You can check out their 2,000-plus educational YouTube videos and nearly 2,000 blogs. Just go to nomadcapitalist.com 
Learn how they can help you legally reduce your tax bill, expand your options globally, and navigate the algorithm ghetto. I uh, and and this is fascism, kind of, as you say. And it's it's interesting that the the left is supporting this. You know, I call it. Uh, they call themselves liberals, uh, and and I call them. You know, today's the, these liberals that you and I are talking about specifically, the NPC liberal class. They are what I would call fascist, totalitarian humanist liberal globalist one of my guests on tnt professor keith preston he points that out they are this is totalitarian humanist liberal globalism uh, and your tweet i like your tweet you, you tweeted quote all the retarded lefties coming out on the side of the banks is the best thing to come out of the situation like that time when they all wore masks and and i posted nigel's uh, clip on my LinkedIn and it went viral 10,000 views on my LinkedIn wow. I got a whole bunch of people uh, wanting to befriend me but I saw some of these comments where these people on the left were happy to see their ideological fellow citizen adversaries debanked put into the algorithm ghetto basically put into the you know the jewish ghetto because I'm using that term mm. from my guest Jewish historian Edwin Black who's comparing the algorithm ghetto to the to the Nazi Jewish ghettos, and now you've got liberals saying, "Yeah, put put Nigel in the in the Jewish ghetto," which is insane. Like, I don't want, I don't wish ill on any of my you know ideological adversaries in in this regard. But they totally missed the forest for the trees. This is about a global dystopia, which they will also be in. And then you know, Nigel tweeted uh, that this priest in the UK, just like soon after he got debanked, some priest who complained about trans ideology got debanked. And then, you know, wh where do you think that's going to stop? Even these lefties, maybe, who don't uh, pay enough carbon emissions might get debanked or um, whatever. So I, I don't think they even, I don't even think they're aware of their ideological position. I think you know, a lot of the time they just wait for their marching orders and the marching orders are inserted into their consciousness and then they just play out the program. I mean, because surely they... They must have some self-awareness about what it is that they're saying, because you know socialism. If you go back to where, where the the left, you know, originated, it's meant to be an opposition. It's meant to be an economic opposition to capitalism and banking, <laughs> you know. But here they are now, a hundred and fifty years later, lining up on the side of the banks just because they have this personal enmity, this hatred that has been inserted into them, this rage that they feel as if they, you know, just want to see their opponents crushed completely regardless of the social and economic um, disaster that that's going to impose because ultimately what this with Nigel Farage is the thin end of the wedge to social credit. Now, if your opinion goes against the narrative of the banks, <laughs> not even the government, of the banks, yeah, then they will restrict your access to commerce. And the more digital commerce becomes, the more access to banking we need. It should be uh, a fundamental legal right that, you know, is above and beyond the control of some private financial entity. It should be by the people, you know, who, who the hell do these banks think they are, especially if they have a monopoly 
over our economy and which is what they have and this is the major problem that people need to address consistently but we kind of get lost and we get distracted and the people who are running these financial empires are masters of manipulation and fear you know they know how to misdirect everybody away from what the real target is but yeah it's 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 incredible to see it's i'm no longer surprised anymore after the sequence of current things that we've seen online and how these people will literally wait for their next program and you can almost predict it you can predict what their position is going to be before it actually happens because we, we've just seen it now with such consistency is how when the system is ready to install and deploy the new narrative they have a willing and um, vast number of drone clone npcs waiting for their next instruction yeah, and, and I don't use that term fascism lightly, though, because I think you were kind of um, alluding to, because now you've got the private institutions, right, banks and corporations, and then you've got the government, uh, and then they are actually, they're working together, basically, for the social yeah. credit. So it, this is fascism, where they are now working together, sharing information, and, and agreeing on the same policy then, where, you know, like my example, uh, you know, where the Department of Homeland Security government works with PayPal private to debank me, uh, deplatform me. That's, that, that's, um, fascism. And then, uh, that's what I was thinking when some of these lefties on the LinkedIn were cheering Farage's debanking. And cause, the, cause again, they believe he got Russian money, right? That's that, uh, thing. And I'm like, well, I didn't do anything. What about me? But and, so, mm. uh, anyways, but we're seeing, uh, every day in the news, this advance of the cashless system. I read some Spanish paper was talking about how, uh, Brussels is, is, uh, gonna, is, uh, they want to gradually eliminate cash to bring in the digital euro for absolute, uh, control. Just, I, I'm, I'm, you know, biometric update. I, I, I follow daily and you've got like Somalia whipping out QR code. They actually say in this mainstream paper, Africa World or something, Somalia just deployed a QR code payment system nationwide, and their end goal is cashless system. They just copied Kenya, which deployed that, on and on. And so well, what are your thoughts on this road towards this digital dystopia? Uh, uh, and and uh, yeah, just... Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm praying for a miracle. <laughs> yeah, I'm praying for a miracle because that's... What we need right now, it appears, some divine intervention to stop this never-ending march of the dark, malevolent forces that are behind these uh, crazy decisions. Um, yeah, this is undoubtedly what's happening. You know, they're moving towards a cashless society because they want to control all aspects of our lives. And you know, when we deal in cash the bank is out the picture or the government are out the picture it's just private between the parties isn't it and um they have no interest in that exchange in that trade and that's what they wanted to remove because what we're seeing you know again with uh, nigel farage is that if you say something that they disapprove of you're getting switched off now will they be able to do it i'm not sure that actually you know in reality that the technology is as sophisticated as they like us to believe. I don't think the AI really is artificial intelligence. I think it's just some clever software. And I don't think that they will achieve those goals in reality. Um, you know, there, there is 
There is some argument that it could be useful if it was in the right hands. It could be um, technology that we could all benefit from. But, you know, I don't have much faith in those people who are operating it. And I think what we're seeing in, in France, you know, France could be a, a kind of a smokescreen in order to bring in more extreme government measures. And would that be an opportunity for them to impose the cashless society, the 15-minute cities, because that's where they were you know, first created, wasn't it? First invented, the 15-minute city was invented in Paris. So I, I hope it doesn't happen. I think that there will always be cash. I don't think that they will ever truly be able to take cash from society because you go to prison, there's no cash in prison. But what do they use? They use cigarettes. They use um, playing cards. They use you know, drugs, whatever they can get their hands on that people want. So there'll always be some medium of exchange, in my view, whether it's, you know, um, on the black market or not. I don't think they'll truly be able to eradicate it. But I think what we'll see if it continues is two parallel systems. There'll be one system, which is you have to be plugged in to that system, which may end up with things like brain chips and stuff. You won't even be able to enter that world, that world, that kind of dystopian um, dystopian hellscape. Or there'll be the people, the dissidents who have broke off, like Nigel Farage, because he can't get a bank anymore. We're going we're gonna to be in the same, uh, in the same um, you know, outpost as him. So yeah, I, I, it's all pretty dark stuff. It seems to me as if they're racing towards a date in time, which is 2030. They have this numerology obsession, don't they, with these dates? So maybe if they're unable to achieve the diabolical goals and they're unable to impose this um, cashless digital system within that time, then you know it might all fail and collapse. But I think we've still got to keep pushing back despite the overwhelming odds or it appears that there's overwhelming odds against us we've got to keep pushing back we've got to keep resisting and hopefully we'll get the breakthrough that we so rightly deserve i mean that that's the fun part for us pushing back it's our duty um you know even if we are going to end up in the digital gulag um we have to push back against the, the the Goliath, and you mentioned France, um, and I and, and as you said, I've been I've been following a number of analysts, and, and I totally agree. You know, Michael O'Fallon, who I'm a fan of, Sovereign Nations, and and many others, pointing out that you know it's it's the they, they create the pretext uh, for the solution that they're looking for, and so they kind of let this France thing uh, happen, collapse, and then they want to bring in martial law. Someone shared a recent clip. Uh, of a woman in Russia, so a Russian lady saying that the whole Wagner Prigozhin, you know, mutiny was a Russian false flag to bring in martial law. And, and that's, that's been one of my initials plausible scenarios. And you see this trend now across the board, France and Russia and US, mm -hmm. Western countries, Eastern countries, all bringing in martial law. And, um, I'm not with the people who would like worship Putin and Eurasia. And all this stuff, and you know, I was gonna get your thoughts. Where you know, we, we get to the Great Reset, and people talk about the multipolar world saving us. But you just had Davos in China, China Davos, um, and then I found this crazy article. They're having um, in a couple days this big conference in China, and it's basically the three key themes for twenty years that I've been banging on about. They say these three topics 
cover the core challenges of global change, in my opinion, technocratic world government. So the, it's called the Thematic Forum of Global Digital Economy Conference, Building Smart Cities in the Changing World. And the three themes are, so this is in China, right? You had the China Davos, and then this is a separate one in China. Smart city and regional integration, so that's like EU, international relations and regional integration, and then international finance, global governance, and regional integration. Those are, for me, the top things. The, the, the global financial, as you mentioned, the digital hellscape, as they, you know, the smart city aspect, and then the regional integration, which is the foundation for the world government, you know, EU, North American Union, um, South American Union. And so what are your thoughts when it comes to this East-West? I mean, if you want uh, thoughts on, you know, the geopolitical World War III, Ukraine. So I, I, I think there is elite collaboration at all levels, but I don't also dismiss that there at some point can come a time where things just explode it's like the mafias are working together, but that one point one mafia might decide to go against the other. What's your take here? It's difficult to know really what's going on, so we can best speculate. Um, but I, I read something interesting that Macron was making overtures to join BRICS and was invited to attend the meeting in BRICS. And I know that the Russians do have deep ties and deep uh, alliances with the French, especially because there is an old, you know, animity between Russians, the English, and the French and the English. So it was kind of my enemy's enemy is my friend. There is an old uh, alliance between the French and the Russians that goes back a long, long time. Um, and I, I was reading that Macron was trying to make moves to join BRICS or at least entertain the offer from BRICS. And he mentioned something recently, didn't he, in the news where he was talking about Europe needs to wean itself off from NATO or American hegemony and start to stand up for itself, which was a surprising comment coming from Macron, the globalist, the former banker for Rothschild, literally, um, who appears just to be a controlled puppet. So it was kind of, well, what, what's going on there? Why would he speak out against quite clearly what the narrative is? And so I, I found that was an interesting comment. And then someone wrote is that the riots were, uh, attempt to terrorize Macron back into the fold to scare him away from going to BRICS. We've got control of the terrorist cells within France. You know, all of the ISIS, Syrian, American mercenaries, CIA mercenaries that were masquerading as Islamic fundamentalists were getting paid for by um, American dollars. A lot, a lot of those cells went into Western Europe and, you know, just waiting to be activated. And if you saw some of the videos of the French, um, riots is the wrong word. I don't kind of know what quite to call it at the moment. French Revolution too, maybe. Um, if you see some of those videos, I mean, some of those guys are really organized. They know how to fire the guns. They know how to, you know, do what they were doing. They weren't just, you know, kids causing distress therefore it's organized if it's organized who is it organized by and what's the purpose so i thought that was a, a good take on the situation it's like maybe macron was being scared back into his box to stop him from aligning with bricks because we saw that didn't we with you know um 
Gaddafi when he wanted to break off the petrodollar. We saw it with Saddam when he wanted to break off the petrodollar. The Americans just went straight in to crush them. So I think there's more going on than meets the eye. And then what we saw in Russia, which could have either have been a genuine coup by or a you know, a mutiny from within, from Predosian, and what appears to be Sudakovin, you know, the top military general, appears to have been arrested. So he was, at one point, he was the leader of the military within Ukraine. He was running the war. So that's as high level in the Russian military as you can get. And apparently, I've read it in a few sources, hasn't been confirmed, he's been arrested if he's been arrested, then that implies that that coup was real at some level. Either Predosian was working with Sudakovin and that was how it was being orchestrated. That's why he knew how to march on Moscow, but he lost his nerve. And Sudakovin did a video, which he looked a bit drunk, and he had his hand on a machine gun and he was telling Predosian to stop and you know don't go any further. Or Predosian due to his close relationship with Putin, because he used to be Putin's chef. <laughs> he used to serve Putin his food, probably to make sure it wasn't poisoned. I don't know. But um, this guy's gone on from humble beginnings to becoming a multi-billionaire and having a very close relationship with Vladimir Putin. Could have been a false flag by the Russians in order to flush out people like Sudakovin, who was the you know, Russian general at the top of the chain and, and, and there's a purge. So I'd like to think that at some level there is some independence between the East and the West. I, I struggle to go with that. They're all working together. I, I think at some level there will be some compliance and some cooperation, yeah, but at the same time, I, I genuinely think that this is an attempt by NATO, um, the American Empire, the rump of the British Empire to finish once and for all the russian uh, empire because the great game between the british empire and the russian empire goes back 350 years or more it's the old enemy and when the british military supremacy faded and americans took over it seemed that they took over the great game too which was to continue this opposition to um, russia in the east because if you look into what some of the plans that NATO has for Russia, it's balkanization. It's the complete dismemberment of Russia as a, a nation, as a federation. And they want to split it up into a million pieces so it is no longer a threat to the West, or so they can just rape the resources of one of the most resource-rich nations on Earth. That makes more sense to me. That makes more sense that it's part of a global conquest in order to remove one of the oldest foes or the oldest uh, obstacles for global dominance. And that's in the way. But then you have China as well, because China are now allying with russia which is an uneasy alliance because they've always had a lot of enmity themselves throughout the the the, the, the centuries so it was, it's an unusual alliance so i like to think that there is some genuine uh, opposition that there is uh, some genuine resistance to this global financial hegemony that is being you know it, it's the, the the military angle is being run from America, there's no doubt about it, but I think the financial angle is still being run from London. 
So, because if you, if you see, it's the, the British government have the most hatred towards Russia at the moment. That they're the ones who are running the show. You know, the Americans seem to be going along for the ride, but it's the it's the British government that have you know open hatred of uh, what's going on in in Russia. So that's kind of my take at the moment. It, it changes as new information comes in because it's so difficult to have a firm grip on on the, the geopolitical nature of this very very interesting struggle at the top of the game. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I kind of view it as different factions of global mm-hmm. elites, like you mentioned, that Western um, occult uh, oligarchy, as some people call it, the Anglosphere, uh, Anglo-American mm-hmm. sphere, and then the, the Russia-Eurasia sphere, and then the Chinese. You know, I like uh, Daniel Estelin. His view is interesting. He calls them different projects. I, for, you know, I think he calls the Western one. You know, you've got like the uh, he's he's got these these different names, you know. You've got these mystical Chinese nationalist uh, elites, and you know they've been around for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. and then the, the, the Russians, and then the Wests. Um, but you know, I, I and, and I would agree with you. My my point is where I see both things happening at the same time. These two contradictions, which I'm trying to decipher, where you see genuine um, geopolitical nationalist, mm-hmm. geo, you know, mili- military conflict, as you just outlined between. All these different parties. That's genuine. But then you also see them um, uh, participating with globalism. So it's just like yeah. two contradictions. And I'm just trying to square. We're all trying to square those circles uh, and see which which one. Uh, I'm, it's 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 for now, as you said, we're, we got to wait for more information and for de- uh, events to develop uh, just to. to, to Kind of figure that out. I think technology has made globalism inevitable to some degree because, you know, we can travel around the world very quickly nowadays. It's cheap. So the movement of people is far, far bigger than it's ever been in history. So that's the first issue that has, you know, helped globalism achieve its goals as the dominant ideology at the moment but also it's the fact that money can move so quickly around the world these days too it can move around in a flash and then you've got the internet so you know we can communicate now we look at us you know communicating from in in 1080p (laughs) we're communicating a beautiful 1080p you're in mexico i'm in the uk and it's, it's in a flash so those nationalist borders are not as um, clearly defined as they have been in the past. And therefore, business is operating on a global level. It's like, you know, you'd run YouTube. You'd run a YouTube channel, and you've potentially got a customer base of, of, of billions. You know, whereas previously, maybe only a small amount of people had access to global markets. Now everybody's got access to global markets due to the ease that we can do business internationally. So I think there is some inevitability to like globalism on a business level, um, but how that merges between nationalism in, in terms of who we are and what our identity is based upon our national borders, that's where it's all being a little bit, you know, un- unclear at the moment. And that's where we're seeing a lot of the conflict. Yeah, th- that's a great uh, insight. Again, a lot of things that you, uh, a few things you've already mentioned that um, kind of a, a new ways for me of, of thinking uh, regarding some of these issues. You, you mentioned uh, some of the uh, th- stuff that you've been Touching on uh, regarding your podcast, you mentioned occult and, and esoteric and, and, and other things, right? So being uh, sovereign and free. Um, you know, we've kind of touched on some of my, uh, obsessions. What's another issue that, that, um, you're passionate about, that you're freaked out about, that, that, that you like to cover, uh, often? 
Um, I like the idea of sovereignty. It's a difficult concept to define other than we're all born sovereign. You know, we're all born sovereign and then we, we give our sovereignty away step by step. And I think one of the, the biggest issues we face today is that people, because they've so willingly handed over their sovereignty from, you know, from birth, is that they've lost their ability to stand up for themselves and to think critically about what's going on in the world. Because if you hand over all of your sovereignty, then you know better than a slave. And if you're a slave, then you're going to go along with whatever the state or the authority figure tells you to do, because you've lost the ability to think critically and be able to exercise your own sovereignty from within. I think there's a spiritual message within that too. You know, I think there is a, an idea of our soul is, is rooted to, to our sovereign identity. And the more we hand it over, the less we are human. Right? And I think we have kind of experienced that during COVID. It was so disappointing to see how many people just folded at the first opportunity of, of tyranny. And, the, you know, the first wave was to find out who were the ones that would just do it. You know, the second wave was trying to flush out, you know, a little bit more of the resistance and they folded. And then the third wave was trying to find that the next rump down and then they got to us. You know, they couldn't shake us off by any means necessary. And, and I think there's a lot of people who are, f who are part of the resistance who are naturally uh, aware of their own personal power and their own sovereignty and something that, you know, they can never take away from me ever, no matter what they do to me, I'll, I'll, I'll die sovereign, you know, and, and I don't mean that as like, I'm a king or anything like that. I just mean, uh, you know, I'm in control of my own destiny and I'll only agree to do things if I believe they're just right and true, you know, and I'm not going to be forced into anything I don't want to do. And I'll um, take the consequences as they come if, if, if I'm faced with them. But I, I think that's one of the greatest things that people can learn from this freedom journey. And that's ultimately what red pill means is that, you know, you are conscious of who you are. You are aware of your own personal power because we are really powerful on an individual level. When we make a stand, one man can, you know, change the whole game as we saw with Jesus Christ, you know, um, but yeah, it's, 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 uh, that for me is one of the, the main things I try to impart upon people is over the years that I've, uh, I've been doing this, I've been challenging, you know, the, the state's pr presumed authority over me for over 10 years. And I've had, you know, lots and lots of success and, uh, I win regularly. I've won a lot of court cases and I've, uh, helped a lot of people who have faced, um, bullies, basically authoritarian bullies. And because we are still largely protected in England with our common law system, which is a gift to the world. And one of the reasons why England is being targeted for destruction, because they can't kick us out. So they're trying to breed us out. And, you know, they don't want that English common law system to be, um, shared too far with too many people because our rights are so deeply ingrained into the bedrock of the country that it's very difficult to um, get rid of them. And um, once people understand the nature of 
who we are in our existence, then it gives us even more personal power. And with that personal power, you become more influential and you can shape, you know, your reality and you become in control of your own destiny. So that's one of the things that I, I like to try and share with other people. And hopefully, you know, more and more people become uh, more sovereign. It's not a, a switch that you just switch on and off. It's a process. And I'm still learning myself and I'm still picking up stuff all the time. But yeah, that's kind of one of the side things I like to um, talk about in the podcast. And it's probably a theme that weaves through a lot of the interviews that we do and a lot of the content. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I'd say that's something that people should really take the time to think deeply about and find ways of exercising their personal power. Yeah. A lot of uh, good points uh, there. And I, I can't remember the quotes, but just uh, to your point about dying, sovereign and for me it's more like um you know in 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 your head where they can take you i've I've mentioned this before in the interview like i'll i will laugh on the way to the gulag so they can physically throw me into a prison or whatever Mm -hmm. but they can't force me to believe something that i don't want to uh believe so they can physically restrain you but not spiritually you know mentally uh, emotionally and so forth and uh again i'm gonna I, i recommend your Twitter feed. I like your little. You've got short quips that that you that you post that are witty. Um, uh, you know, I I got to get working on that. But uh, how do you gin those up? Do you, do you like think about the, the the sentence you're going to tweet? Because I, I really enjoy them, and I think you, you you nail it on the head. I just I'm I'm just curious about those. I don't know. I mean, I just like I like brevity. I guess I don't know. Yeah, you just just you just hope to be inspired by a good tweet, don't you? Some of them work, some of them don't. You know, there's always trying to figure out what the you know how to analyze the uh, you know the Twitter, what works, what doesn't, and in the end, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going to be good. I don't know what's going to be bad. I just you know throw everything at the wall and hope something sticks. <laughs> you, ju- you just you just uh, just do it, uh, as was was the name Sheila Bose yeah. would say, but. Um, Again, something you've been cover, um, observing a, as I have was is this uh, woke uh, perversion, right? And, and I love this guy. I saw you tweet him. I'm, I'm constantly sharing of this New York uh, artist Scott Lobito, and he's saying mm-hmm. what a lot of us have had on our minds. He just you just uh, I think shared as, as did I. Um, uh, he, he shares this photo in I think, somewhere in the U.S. I guess New York where. Uh, I think it's in London, actually. Or was it think. London? London. Uh, I think I'm not 100. Literally, but yeah. three men completely naked with their genitalia hanging out, uh, and children passing by in front of them. I mean, this is basically like, I mean, Sodom and Gomorrah, and mm-hmm. and we're just seeing more uh, and more of this stuff all, all over the place. In the U.S., someone just uh, shared information in a school. Uh, the teacher was asking 11 year olds, where would you like to have sex for the first time? And listed places like hotel bedroom as good options. And all the kids were appalled and embarrassed. Um, they said, and just, you know, we're all, a lot of us listening to this are very familiar with this. I'm just wondering how far is this going to go before something, uh, breaks? Just your, your thoughts on all of this insanity. Well, I think this year was the most positive that I've remembered in at least five years is that there's a lot more pushback now. There's more people are less bothered by the names that the enemy is trying to hurl at us. So once that fear is gone, once people are more afraid of 
the damage that this causes than the damage that the name will cause you, then the more people will push back. And I've been, you know, encouraged by this year's pride <laughs> that we're seeing, you know, definite green shoots of recovery from our people. It may not seem like that, but for me, that's how, how I viewed it. And it's kind of tipping points like the photograph in question that does the job, you know, and in that photograph is that he even pixelates out the offensive parts of it. But the one guy who is leaning against the wall, he's got an erection uh, as the child's walking past. And, you know, in a, in a just and healthy society, the men, the real men would deal with that properly. They would deal with that in an instant. You wouldn't allow your children to walk through it. We deal with it in a way that it needs to be dealt with. Um, and it's it's like Satan has been unleashed and he has conquered the month of June. And the month of June is, is I think it's traditionally is to do with marriage. I think Juno is the Roman god of marriage. Um which would be kind of quite ironic, wouldn't it? You know, so they have they have captured and hijacked the glorious summer month of June and um, turned it into this diabolical, diabolical festival of of uh, just outright weirdness. The fact that what they're doing is just so weird, and I don't even understand what the objective goal is from a even from a business point of view, I mean, where are they really going with this? Because that's not what they're not showing us, is that it's like, you know, you go and watch a movie. If you haven't wrote the movie, you don't know where the plot is taking you. But the guy who's wrote the movie, he knows what the end scene is. Right? He knows where it's taking you. But we're just kind of being fed the narrative of various stages and the ending and the plot points are being withheld from us, right? And it's definitely something like that going on here because it seems so bizarre why they're doing this blatant destruction of our our civilization in such demonic fashion. You know, there's even calls now, isn't there, for Islam to take over to clean up the society because they wouldn't allow it to happen in an Islamic world. So is there a problem reaction solution going on here? Is the, is the goal to take us as far as they can in a degenerative, diabolical uh, way so that the savior steps in and says, we'll clean it up guys. Cause you, you guys aren't having much luck here, are you? And then the people willingly accept the new order, which would act as a purge. Maybe there's something like that going on, but it's been a lot. It's been heartwarming to see the pushback. And that's one of the things about Twitter. I know people criticize Elon Musk quite rightly, but at the same time, he's giving me a platform to speak and he's given other people a platform to speak. And what we found is that these ideologues, because they've had such a free run on the public platforms, and whenever we have pushed back in the past, we've been removed from those platforms. Therefore, their ideas have not been challenged. And because their ideas have not been challenged, they've kind of flourished in this uh, this forum where the ridiculous absurdity of them has had no pushback. So they've grown and grown and grown. And now, because all of a sudden we are allowed a voice, we have been speaking out is that we're seeing these people be absolutely totally ratioed in almost every thread of almost every thread on Twitter. And that is the battleground. Twitter is the political battleground. 
you know, it's Facebook isn't and Instagram certainly isn't, but Twitter is the political battleground. And it's been really, really encouraging to see. And I, I sometimes just, you know, go on the threads just for the ratio, just to watch the ratio, get some popcorn and watch it go because it's, it's almost, uh, it's almost inevitable that it happens when these people make these absurd ideological quotes that they haven't thought through. They haven't been challenged on. So that's really good for me. And, I, and I've been enjoying getting involved in it. And what's interesting, you don't see the ratio coming from the other side. You don't see, um, someone who is, uh, opposed to pride, for instance, then suddenly being piled on from pro pride people it's only the other way at the moment which means that there is some hope that we will win the culture war and also we've had you know some interesting decisions from the american supreme court which i found surprising one was the end of affirmative action and the other was the decision recently in which a guy said i think it was a website maker who was trying to be forced to make lgbt websites obviously you know some fetish porn that he doesn't want to be forced into making that the supreme court found in his favor they are massive massive landmark decisions because that means that all of a sudden you know it's it's now legal to literally legally push back and say no i'm not getting involved in this so yeah i, I think overall it's it's positive but it's still we're still riding through the the valley in the shadow of death you know with uh this uh, weird, weird, weird cultural phenomenon that we're going through at the moment. Yeah, fun times. And I, I recently interviewed on my TNT show, uh, TNT Radio, uh, Robert De La Hanti, who wrote Politically Incorrect Guide to the Supreme Court. He was uh, 17 years at the DOJ. And then Judge Amul uh, Tharapal wrote, I just interviewed him, who wrote uh, a book on Clarence Thomas, one of the justices at the Supreme Court, and, and himself, and Judge uh, Amul himself may be a future candidate for uh, the Supreme uh, Court. And I like how you put it. That's exactly how I think, going, going back to the whole transge transgenderism, insanity, uh, LGBTQ plus trans, whatever, to infinity, uh, uh, mm -hmm. where they're hiding the, the, the plot devices from us. And I, they, it's, it's true. It's like, wh where are they going with this? Where, where we are now doesn't make any sense. And it's progressively getting worse. Um, and they know something that we don't, even with the Definitely. DEI, ESG, uh, corporate social credit stuff with the BUD, uh, all these where, where, where they're transizing all of the uh corporations so, someone posited that this was one way of attacking uh americana traditional identity by attacking a lot of these traditional brands corrupting them um uh fracturing uh america so yeah a lot of craziness is going on uh and something we often talk about in independent media yeah i've been to the greater reset with Derek bros i go to different uh, other, uh, conferences. And I guess the, 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 the question is in this, the, um, dystopian, uh, health, hellscape, as you put it, how do we stay as free as possible? Uh, I like the maxim. One of my guests, Ricardo Bossi, uh, told me on the program three years ago, uh, Teddy Roosevelt's, uh, do what you can with what you got and, and where you are. Uh, and I'm just in a balanced place. Try to decentralize as much as possible. Uh, work locally, I think, more than uh, digitally. And just stay sane. I still get emails from people like daily who are like, check out this video about the 5G mRNA, this, that. I'm like, 
I can't. Sorry, I'm gonna go. You know, walk around in the sun. I'm I'm done with that. You know, and it's just like <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm not gonna get injected. I don't need to investigate. Spend 20 hours a day investigating what's in the shot. No. I know it's bad, and so it's just like uh, people. You know, you got to get more balanced, and so. Yeah, you know, this whole idea of parallel society and, and, and structures. And so just and any of your thoughts as to the way uh, forward. Well, I, I love that quote that you give. That was a, a great quote. Um, so, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Just bear with me a second. I've just lost your screen. Um, there we are. Got it back. Um, sorry, close up. Yeah, I lost the Chrome. Sorry, it's only on Chrome, this, isn't it? Um, oh, okay, yeah, that quote is perfect. It's like, you can only do what you can do, right? You can only do what's within your resources, within your within your control. And if, if you can't control it, then I don't let it bother me too much. You know, there's something definitely going on above my head. There's something definitely going on in our skies in Europe. I don't know what that is, but it's undeniable that, you know, there is some organization with the airplanes above my head, right? I don't know what that is. I'll never be able to get to the bottom of it. I can't control it. So I don't let it get to me. I don't let it bother me because there's nothing I can do about it. So all I can do is what I can do personally to improve my life, my friends, and my family and anybody else that, you know, wants to be part of Eyes Wide Open. And that's kind of what we do on the podcast is that because everyone's problem and everyone's situation is different, it's difficult to give a definitive prescription of how to be free right so it's all about you know it's like a, a pick and mix you use what you need for your particular scenario so what i'm trying to do on the podcast i have a very eclectic taste i'm not niche i've never been niche i just like lots of things whatever turns me on i'm into it right and i want to share that with you with my audience and stuff so i, I have an interest in lots of things so I like bringing on um, lots of different diverse guests that all have some angle on um, how to break free of the system. And some people are super specific, super smart, and they're able to go, this is what I want to share with you. And other people are more generalist like myself. So I want to be able to create a, a, a podcast with you know a ton of content that people can go and access and then build their own framework from the solutions that we offer, whether that's health solutions with people like Darko Velchak, who shows you how to, you know, clean and cleanse the system on a quantum level <laughs> or whether you want to get residency in a different country to keep your property divided so that the state and the great reset can't snatch it all from you. Or whether it's speaking to people like Lisa Tanner, who've got some mortgage solutions, um, we speak to people like that as well. So that's what I try to focus on is picking up a multitude of different tools and techniques that we can all use to extricate ourselves from this system. Decentralization, of course, is hugely important. You know, you've got to unplug yourself from the system. But we talked about this in the last podcast um, by a weird coincidence. We talked about some of the PT stuff, you know, Perpetual Traveler and Andrew Henderson and Simon Black. And then the following week, I went to visit a friend of mine and we were chatting and he went, oh, I've got something for you, which is which is this, right? I don't know whether it's back to front there. It's called um, The Passport Report by W.G. Hill. Right? And W.G. Hill is the guy who first invented Perpetual Traveler, PT. 
I mean, a lot of the modern guys took the ideas from, this is basically how to get a second passport. This was written in 1995. Uh, amazing book. Right? There's a whole series of these. You can get them on Amazon quite cheap, actually. Um, so, um, so yeah, f for me personally, is that, one, you need to understand the law. If you're in a common law jurisdiction, you need to understand the basics. You don't need much more than the basics. But you need to understand your fundamental rights and how they're expressed through the law, specifically the common law. That's one of the first most important steps you can take because once you understand your rights, you know when the um, state is giving you the illusion of authority when they're trying to impose their authority on you without actually having the authority at law. And once you understand that, you become more confident in pushing back against these authority figures, which they really don't like, right? But if you're confident and um, aware of what your rights are and you're able to express them, you can find that you have magical powers, like a Jedi, like uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. These aren't the droids you're looking for. And it's so prophetic you can speak to some of these state agents with you know these aren't the droids you're looking for and they go okay okay and they'll be gone and they'll melt off into the background and i've done it numerous times over the years so that's one of the most important things is knowing what your national rights are yeah your national rights are really really important um where we have the benefits of a common law jurisdiction the same as you in america in europe it's different it's the roman civil law which definitely doesn't have as many of your rights protected and it's a, a bit more of a challenge there i couldn't really advise on that but um so yeah that's one of the first things and then it's about how do you protect your property and your property is not just your, you know, movable property like your phone, but it's obviously your house and your intellectual property and it's your body. You know, how do you protect your body, which is the first property that you own? Um, and that's where things like internationalism comes in in which you spread your assets around so that, you know, they're not vulnerable to attack from, you know, this, the country that you reside in, whether that's second passport, whether that's a residency, uh, different bank accounts, whatever. You have to make sure that the banks that are defunding Nigel Farage find it more difficult to do that to you. And there are other little tricks and techniques that you can do. Nigel Farage should obviously change his name to something less obvious as Nigel Farage and maybe it'd slip through the net of the banks. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's on a like on a, on a physical level. And then on a spiritual level, like we talked about, it's, it's sovereignty. It's knowing who you are and knowing what you're about and knowing your power. And once you do that, you know, you're free then forever. There's no, there is no enslaving you at that moment. It doesn't matter what physical bondage they put on you. It's you're free internally and spiritually and, and that's, ultimately what they don't want you to become because at that moment you'll you'll never ever be captured by their system and, and that's the um the best way to be free i i think that, that that would be a great title for this podcast these aren't the droids you're looking <laughs> for yeah, uh, it really works honestly i've done it many times no, but i get what you're saying and you know when mm. i was interviewing last week uh the judge uh, one of the listeners in TNT sent an email saying, well, why do I need to know all this? And I think COVID was the perfect example. Even here in Mexico, you know, I, I, I went out and bought, out, bought Mexican constitutions because I never really, you know, read them. And I'm a Mexican citizen. And I'm like, uh, you know, what they're doing is unconstitutional. You've got the governor talking about passport vaccine checkpoints to enter or exit the state uh, or um, 
mandating vaccines and then they're like, oh yeah, it's illegal, but we're considering altering the state constitution to make it legal or the masks and stuff. And it's like, it's you, you just outlined it perfectly. If, if you know your rights, you know where they're overstepping theirs and you can push back where the government is acting illegally, then you can say, no, no, I'm, because a lot of people don't know and they'll just, Go with the crowd. The sheep, you know, go. The herd mm-hmm. goes over the hill. You want to go over the hill with the with the you know the mass of pigs. Uh, you know, like like going back to the New Testament when you know Jesus and the and the legion and the demon sent them into the pigs. They fell off the cliff. Yeah, um, we are legion. Yeah, yeah. But and 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 yeah. I also like like how you mentioned. That's what I do here, where you get guests, where each comes from a different angle. You might not agree with everything, but all of my guests have one piece of the puzzle that I never entertained before never heard mm. and i'm like wow that's mad i'm putting that in my my bag of tricks you know my my library mm. of knowledge so i've just added something where i can disagree with them on other things but like oh look at so, this piece and you get a bigger picture. what's the great privilege of being a podcast host of this type of content isn't it you know we get to speak to them directly and you know get to pocket all the gems <laughs> yeah yeah all the all the gems and any any final uh, thought uh, for us before before you leave us? Um, yeah, you know, just people to to remain positive. Don't let the bastards get you down, all right? And don't let the diabolical hellscape um, be the only future that you can envisage. Think about uh, the utopia that we can build together. Um, and if anyone wants to come on with me on that journey, you can find me over on uh, my website, which is lawrenceeisman.com. I'll include the link uh, in the in, in the link is in the description of this uh, podcast. And yeah, even in dystopia, we can make our own little <laughs> utopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll keep up the great work. And thank you for being on Geopolitics and Empire. Uh, thanks for the invite. Great to chat to you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes, Facebook restricts our page, Reddit and Twitter take down posts, and after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.